Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockefeller. For a while, I lived in the city of San Francisco. When I moved there, a friend of mine from back east asked me to go to a convention that was happening in the city. He wanted me to talk to some vendors, look up some stuff, and send him back information. He was willing to pay for the passes, and frankly I had time, and I was close by, so I decided to do it. The convention was held at a place called the Moscone Center, a place I thought I'd never heard of. So I remember getting up that day, going to the Moscone Center, checking in, and then first getting the vendors out of the way that my friend wanted me to talk to, and then just wandering around for a few hours, talking to vendors, picking up swag. As I walked around, I had this strange feeling, the feeling that I had been there before. We've all sensed that, being in a place and thinking, I've been here before, or I know this place. But I'd never been to San Francisco before I moved there, and I'd certainly never been to the Moscone Center, so I couldn't figure it out. I just sort of wandered around, trying to place it in my head. I left not knowing why the Moscone Center felt familiar, but a couple of months later, I was watching TV, and the movie The Net came on. I'm a fan, so I was watching it, and as the film progressed, there's the Moscone Center, in all its glory. I couldn't pause it because it was on broadcast television, and I can't tell you the sense of relief that this mystery had been solved. I had watched this film multiple times, and the Moscone Center had just sort of seeped in to my brain. I never really picked up on where things were. I knew The Net was shot in San Francisco, sort of. I don't know if I remembered that, but the location itself had seeped into my brain enough that it got confused when it was there. What was interesting about this was the after effect of this, because I started to think about film locations a lot more, especially that I was in a different city that had had many films filmed in it. And so I would go online and look for filming locations in the city, and I would go to try to see them. It's a real fun and interesting thing to do when you're visiting major cities or even just interesting locations. Movies are so important to many of us that filming locations can be an important component of where you're visiting or living. So next time you have this sense of deja vu or this sense of, I've been here before, maybe in a past life, maybe you just saw a Sandra Bullock movie. On today's show, I'm going to talk to you about one of those Sandra Bullock movies, The Net. I'll talk about the people behind the film, how the film developed, the people behind the camera, the cast, the technology, its reception, spin-offs, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
The Net is a 1995 computery action thriller. It was directed by Erwin Winkler and starred Sandra Bullock. The film started in the mind of two writers, John Brancato and Michael Ferris. They're a screenwriting duo who met in college, where they had been editors at the Harvard Lampoon. Together, they would work on films like The Game, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and Terminator Salvation. They wrote together until 2015, when they went their separate ways. One of their more successful collaborations was The Net, and development of The Net began while the two of them were working on David Fincher's The Game, and they met with future director of The Net, Erwin Winkler. According to Michael Ferris, Winkler wanted to do a movie about a woman who hires a guy to do resume tampering. That way she could get her dream job at an advertising agency. They did write that film, but they thought it was a bit boring. But the thing that intrigued them was the idea that people who were really good with computers could go on the now burgeoning internet and change things. That doesn't seem like a big deal now, but this was the early 90s when they were writing this. At about the same time, ideas about identity theft started to become talked about. They had actually found just one book that had been published about the subject while they were doing work on that original script. And according to Brancato, I thought, well, what if you just take that literally as a concept, that you have a character whose whole identity in life was stolen from her? When they had written a first draft, there was this idea that she would retaliate against the people she worked for, and they would erase her identity, basically making her a non-person. According to Ferris, they realized at that point, the whole movie should be about that, instead of about all of this other business of resume tampering. So they went back to Irwin and said, we have this other idea, and we think the movie should be different. To his credit, Irwin saw that this could be an interesting direction, and he said, go ahead and write it. So before we get into some other details, let's talk a little bit about the plot of The Net. Now, this movie is over 25 years old, and I think that's a safe amount of time where I don't have to announce that I'm going to basically spoil large parts of the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, you probably should. The film is about Angela Bennett, who lives in Venice, California, a bit of a computer genius who works remotely for a company called Cathedral Software in San Francisco, which was a concept way ahead of its time. We learn that she is very computer-oriented in all the things she does, tries to do all of her interactions through the computer, chatting, even ordering pizza, which we'll talk a little bit about later. She has relationships with very few people, and she tries to keep most of them at arm's length. Her closest relationship is probably with her mother, who sadly is in a hospital for Alzheimer's and doesn't remember most things. At this point, she gets a floppy disk with information about the band Mozart's Ghost, which in itself is just wonderfully cheesy, but maybe could have been valid at the time. On that disk is this little symbol, the pi symbol in the corner. And if you hit control shift and click that pi symbol, it gives you access to a system called Gatekeeper, which was sold by Greg Microsystems, which is a company owned by CEO Jeff Gregg, who I guess is the kind of overarching villain in some ways of the film, although we very rarely see him. At this point, things start to get weird because the person that sent Angela the floppy gets killed in a freak plane crash. Now, Angela was already planning to go on a vacation. She went to Cancun. There she meets this guy, Jack Devlin, 
They hit it off. Turns out he is a villain working for the people who run Gatekeeper. And Gatekeeper itself is this insane plot to basically control all the computers in the world and therefore access to everything. Angela escapes the clutches of the villainous Jack Devlin and makes her way home. At this point, they start to tear down her life. We meet her former boyfriend and psychologist, played by Dennis Miller, Dr. Alan Champion. Not only do they take Angela's identity away from her, they swap it with someone named Ruth Marks. Angela needs to figure all this out. She goes up to San Francisco. That's where she winds up in the Moscone Center. And through some disc swappery and viruses, she's able to expose the whole conspiracy and take back her life at the very end. We see her living a much more normal life, non-computery, trying to spend some more quality time with her mother outside. Lesson learned. Now, I explained it like that, and it took a little longer. I think you'll get a lot more out of this 30-second commercial that ran back in 1995. Imagine someone is monitoring your life. Our whole lives are on the computer. They knew everything. Someone knows all your secrets. Someone can wipe out every trace of your identity. It's fun to go. They screwed with my information and my fingerprints. Just give us the disc and we'll give you your life back. I don't understand. Why me? This summer, Sandra Bullock is caught in the net. Rated PG-13 at theaters July 28th. The film was directed by Erwin Winkler, who was born in 1931. He's a film producer primarily, but he also directed films. He has directed or produced over 50 motion pictures, stretching back all the way to 1967. He produced the film They Shoot Horses, Don't They? That has Jane Fonda in it back in 1969, and that was nominated for nine Academy Awards. Most famously, he would win an Oscar for Best Picture for 1976's Rocky, but has been nominated as a producer for Best Picture on three other films, Goodfellas, The Right Stuff, and Raging Bull. He didn't direct as much. He only directed seven films, and The Net is probably the most well-received of them, certainly the most profitable. The last film he directed was in 2006, a film called Home of the Brave. The last movie he produced was 2019's The Irishman, continuing his relationship with Martin Scorsese. After Sandra Bullock committed to the lead role of the film in October of 1994, they began filming in mid-January, and that extended until April of 1995. So they just had a few months of editing before they would release the film. There were some location shoots, including Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and of course, San Francisco. Not only did they film at the Moscone Center, but they used a building at 1 Post Street as the exterior of Cathedral Software, which is the company Angela worked for. That building is known as the McKesson Building. The film has a very talented cast, not very big, but I'm only going to focus on the main three characters of the film. First, you have Sandra Bullock as Angela Bennett. Sandra Bullock was born in 1964. She's an actress and producer, award-winning, including an Academy Award. Bullock's acting career started in New York when she started taking acting classes with Sanford Meisner and would appear in student films. She would land a role on an off-Broadway play, and she would be spotted by director Alan J. Levi who offered her a part in the made-for-television film Bionic Showdown, The Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman from 1989. And this would lead to her being cast in a bunch of small roles on 
TV and some independent films. She would then go on to land movie roles that you might have seen, including Love Potion Number no. 9 and Fire on the Amazon, before landing the supporting role that would get her the most amount of attention, Demolition Man, and lead to her breakthrough role in the 1994 film Speed, where she played Annie Porter. From Speed, she would go on to do the romantic comedy While You Were Sleeping, which made a lot of money and made her star much bigger, and the film she chose to follow up that smash was The Net. Jeremy Northam played Jack Devlin, and this would be his American film debut. Born in 61, Northam is an English actor who basically works in a lot of very Englishy things. But films you might have seen are Gosford Park, Amistad, and Enigma, although his credit list is much bigger. Recently, if you have Showtime, you might have seen him on The Tudors, and he also played Anthony Eden in the Netflix series The Crown. Finally, you had Dennis Miller as Dr. Alan Champion. Dennis Miller was born in 1953. He's a comedian, TV personality, sports commentator, actor. He came to fame as a cast member on Saturday Night Live from 1985 to 1991, where he anchored Weekend Update, the news segment of Saturday Night Live, which got his name out there. After that, he would host a bunch of talk shows, both in syndication and on cable TV. Rounding out the cast, you had Ray McKinnon as Dale Hessman, Ken Howard as Michael Bergstrom, Wendy Gassell as Ruth Marks, Diane Baker as Mrs. Bennett, and Gerald Burns playing Jeff Gregg, who, in theory, is the head villain of the film, but he appears almost nowhere in the film. If you watch The Net, especially back in 95, the thing that probably impressed you the most was when Angela ordered a pizza through pizza.net. And there is an excellent write-up of the pizza.net story on Collider, and I'll post a link to that in the show notes. But the story of how that happened is, of course, a nice Hollywood story. According to Ferris, one of the writers, they had been talking to people about usage on the internet, and they knew that you could buy plane tickets. And they also started to think, what would Angela buy online? What could show that she really wants to limit her contact with other people? And the quick answer was food. It was actually Irwin who came up with the idea. According to Brancato, the idea that the more they could isolate her, the more she was further away from other humans, the stronger the idea of identity theft in the film could become. Because if a person is so far removed, it's much more believable that they could be replaced. They would, of course, hire special effects people to create graphics. Amongst those were Alex and Harold Mann. And they wanted to add a level of authenticity to the experience because at the time, you got to remember, most people didn't have a computer. Maybe if you're younger, you've seen people on movies and TV who've never used a smartphone before, and you see that they have no ability to type on it. It's, it's as if they've never picked it up. Well, in the mid-90s, that was a lot of people with just computers. They didn't understand how the mouse worked. They didn't understand what you would click online. So they wanted to build an interface that was interactive, where Sandra Bullock could click on things, and it would do the correct action depending on what she clicked. It gave her a little bit of reality while she's doing the business. They also wanted to design something that they thought would look like what the internet would grow into, so that the film had a bit of a timeless quality to it. It doesn't necessarily do that, but it does look much more futuristic than what you would get at the time. 
but not too futuristic that you're thinking this is science fiction. And to Sandra Bullock's credit, they said that she was very good and obviously had had some experience because between takes, she would be playing with the interface. And I think that is very interesting too, because if you were coming online in the mid-90s, interfaces and web pages were completely new things and navigating them was a novel experience. I like this quote from Alex Mann because he throws Ben Kingsley under the bus a bit. He said, She definitely had an above-average level of ease and fluidity. You've got to think of actors. You put a mouse in their hand. They don't always know what to do. On the 1995 film Species, I handed Ben Kingsley a mouse and a keyboard, and it was a little rough. Sandy was definitely way above average in that regard. You love how new we're looking. You love how hot we're cooking. Yeah. You love the stuff we're made of. There's a whole new spirit at Pizza Hut. That's why from now on, your pizza will be right or it's free. Guaranteed. You love the stuff. I went and dug up the soundtrack to The Net, which I'd never listened to before. And it's a bit of an unusually constructed soundtrack. It just has four tracks on it, named after the acts of the film, Acts 1 through Acts 4. That music was provided by Mark Isham, who was born in 1951. He's a film composer and a musician, worked on a variety of music. Films he's worked on that you might have heard of include Point Break, A River Runs Through It, Nell, and Blade. There are some additional songs in the film, including A Whiter Shade of Pale, performed by Annie Lennox, Moon River, which was written by Henry Mancini and Johnny Mercer, Blanca Rosa, written by Alfredo Lopez, and Nocturne in B Major by Frederick Chopin. If you haven't heard the soundtrack before, it's pretty interesting, and it's been posted online in many places, including YouTube, if you want to give it a listen. The film was released on July 28th, 1995. It had a budget of $22 million and would earn $50.7 million domestically. Worldwide, it would earn $110.6 million. And then when it went to home video, and video rentals were still very popular back then, it would make an extra $23.7 million. So a big hit. Review-wise, it was hit or miss. I think word of mouth really helped it. Plus, people really were coming around to Sandra Bullock. Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, describing the film as Hitchcockian. People might not have understood what the film was about, and they might not have liked all of the elements of it, but overall, the positivity is about Sandra Bullock. And I think Roger Ebert touched on something when he said that Bullock gives a naturalistic performance in the film. And I think that's the sort of grounding that the film needed in this, I guess it's realistic, but in the sort of high-tech world that people were not as familiar with, having someone give a role that was so grounded in reality and really focused on the person as opposed to all of the technical things she knows makes the film much more rewatchable over time and certainly overcomes some of the issues you might have with the dated portrayal of technology in the film. Sandra Bullock made the film watchable then and she is primarily the reason the film is very watchable now. The Net would have perhaps been the number one film the week it was released, but it went up against another 
legendary powerhouse of a film. Which brings me to what was in the theaters the same time that the net was out. Well, let's go through the top 10. Number 10 was Species, which had been out for five weeks. Number nine was Pocahontas in its seventh week. Number eight was Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, which was in its sixth week. Number seven was Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, which was in its fourth week. Number six was the premiere of Operation Dumbo Drop, which I proudly saw in the theater. Number five was Nine Months in its third week. Number four was Clueless in its second week. Number three was Apollo 13, which had premiered the week before. Number two was The Net, and the number one film was the Kevin Costner film Waterworld. Whenever I look at these lists of films, I realize I used to go to the movies a lot. When you have a film that does this well, odds are you're going to get some spin-offs and sequels, and the film did have a sequel. It was called The Net 2.0, and it starred Nikki DeLoach, and it was directed by the sequel to Erwin Winkler, his son Charles Winkler. It was announced in February of 2005 and was released in 2006. It doesn't have really anything to do with the original film, but it does concern computers and identity theft. Unfortunately, it doesn't have the same grounding that the original film does. The main character who has bad things happen to them does not come across as sympathetic. It does have some interesting things in it, but if you have an opportunity to watch The Net, the original, twice, rather than watch The Net 2.0, you're probably better off doing that. The Net would also spawn a television series that starred Brooke Langton. It only lasted for one season, but it was produced in Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada, and aired on the USA Network from July 18, 1998 until March 27, 1999. It has a lot in common with the original film. Angela Bennett receives an email with information about the Praetorians, this elite terrorist group, and they discover that the Praetorians want to take control of people's lives by controlling their computers, and they become aware of Angela and put her on the most wanted list by switching up her identity, and she gets help from a mysterious person called the Sorcerer, who was played by Tim Curry, which is one of the crueler things about the show. Now, the show didn't last long, but the premise is really solid in a lot of ways because you have that whole The Fugitive, The Incredible Hulk thing of a person who is wanted by the law for the wrong reasons and can travel around, in theory, and do good while trying to solve their own problems, which I think should have been the thrust of the show. Maybe it would have lasted longer if they were able to lean more heavily into that. Oddly enough, the net, the complete series, was released on DVD. And I say that oddly enough because there's just so many TV shows that were never released on DVD. And yet, the net, the complete series, is available. So all those the net TV series fans are very lucky. While the film does play around with the idea of the internet and identity theft, is the big theme of it. What we're really seeing in the net is the idea of privacy. Things that we would take for granted now are all new in the net. For example, Bennett goes to Cancun and meets this guy who seems to be the perfect man. But that's because he has learned stuff about her from seeing what she's posted online. He's able to figure out all of this information without her giving it to her something that people had not really thought of. And it's a good example of the unintended consequences of technology 
and what it can do to our lives. It's something we're still contending with nowadays, and it's continually evolving. But this is one of the earliest films that captures it in a more modern sense, and that's why it's worth your time. It's a bit of a historical artifact, but it's a well-acted historical artifact, and there's still a lot we can learn from it. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music on the show is provided by Peachy. If you like Peachy's music, you should follow him on Twitter. He's at twitter.com slash peachypixel8. That's the word peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show. If you want to support the show, you could give the show a good review on wherever you download it. You could also support the show via Patreon, where for $3 a month, you could become a supporter of the show and get member-only episodes, access to the Retroist Discord, and episode bonus tracks. If you want more information about the Retroist's Patreon, you should drop by patreon.com slash retroist. And I'd like to thank supporters Jin and Gerald Shivers. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Imagine a world where everything about you is on record. A world where every trace of your existence is on a computer. A world which could be easily erased. I wish. Escape is impossible when you're caught in the net. Her driver's license, her credit cards, her bank accounts, her identity. Deleted. Debt and all. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.